What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Alex DiMatteo on today's episode. I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her and hear her story. You guys actually, like, we've already recorded this. I just, <laughs> my Wi Fi malfunctioned, so we are redoing it. And Alex, just thank you for that. But I'm just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you'd like. Hi, Shelly. Just thanking you again for having me on the show. It is a little funny to. I mean, but what's better than telling your story more than once? Um, (laughs) So I'll start from the beginning. Um, I met my husband in 2011. We were 19. We had some mutual friends and uh, we ended up tailgating a concert together where we talked. I gave him my number and then he annoyed me for months until I conceded to dating him and the rest is history. So I had actually found out later that when we were younger, we had met and he was too shy to talk to me, but our, fr- our parents were friends and it was almost like fate that we were supposed to end up together. And we dated for seven years until he proposed in the summer of 2018. We immediately jumped into wedding planning and scheduled our huge Italian wedding for October of 2019. And we had always discussed having kids right away. So at my annual gyno appointment, um, the year before the wedding, I decided to go off of birth control. I had been on for a little over 10 years at that point, but I wanted to regulate my cycle so that we would be ready to go when we were ready for babies. And I always kind of thought that we needed to use some sort of birth control because I had been told for years and years by all teachers and parents and everything that if you have sex unprotected one time you're going to get pregnant and that's just what I believed would happen so we went through the next year using condoms uh, to prevent pregnancy because we weren't trying to get pregnant before the wedding So after the wedding, we ditched all forms of birth control and decided that we weren't going to focus on trying, but we weren't going to prevent pregnancy and just see what happens. So um, my husband is a lineman. He works on the um, power lines and he was working away from home at the time. So we only saw each other about one to two days a week until the end of November. So about two months after the wedding. And clearly nothing happened during that time because we just didn't see each other enough. So when December rolled around and he was home, I decided that I was too type A to let things be. And I started tracking my ovulation. I purchased an Ava bracelet to help me understand my cycle. And I also grabbed some ovulation sticks. I became an obsessive tester. I joined multiple trying to conceive Facebook groups Um, I started researching all the supplements, all the vitamins, everything that's supposed to help with fertility. I just became obsessed with this idea of controlling the situation. So 
luckily for me, I did end up conceiving somewhere around New Year's and got my first positive pregnancy test on January 10th um, of this year. So I didn't have to wait too long, which is, which was great. Um, I did start testing early at about 11 days post ovulation. And I had read all of the research about not testing early, but um, I had planned the next day to go to brunch with some girlfriends. And I wanted to know if I should be drinking or not. I was very concerned about it. So I got my a very faint positive and I was so excited. I quickly contacted two of my girlfriends to tell them the news. And I started thinking of what way I was going to tell my husband in like a nice cute way. As soon as I saw those two pink lines, I immediately fell in love. I started to plan my baby's life for the next umpteen years right away. I ordered a onesie that said, hello, daddy. And I planned to give it to my husband the next day. This was a Friday. So when I got home Saturday afternoon, I was going to give it to him. I was too impatient for Amazon to deliver it, however. So I ended up stopping at a cute store in my town on the way home. And I found a little pillow that said, mommy and daddy established 2020. I had brought my pregnancy test with me to brunch so that he wouldn't find them in the house. And I put them in a bag with the pillow and told him that I had bought him a gift while I was out shopping after brunch. He opened it and I've never seen him so excited. (laughs) He was so excited. He just couldn't believe it. But I remember at that point, um, already feeling kind of apprehensive. I knew quite a few people who had had miscarriages and I just didn't want to get my hopes up or his because it was very early. And I told him, you know, just remember, like, anything can happen. It's so early. You know, remember what happened to so-and-so, this friend, that friend. You know, just keep that in mind. But he was just so excited that it was almost, like, contagious. And the ones he actually showed up as soon as I told him at the door. So I took the cutest picture with him holding it. And I was like, wow, I can't wait to put that picture in a baby book. And show our baby how excited their dad was from the very beginning to like meet them and this is going to be so sweet and when we announce like I can post all these pictures so cute so I immediately jumped in the next Monday and called my doctor I had switched to a new gyno a couple years before because they were also an OB office that a lot of people I knew had used and liked and just from kind of that point I realized that this might not be the practice for me, but so many people had used them and loved them and loved the doctors. So I was like, you know, maybe it's just this person or this experience, but the person who scheduled my appointment was very clinical and rude and just treated me as if this was, I mean, I know it's very routine for them, but gave me no information. I kind of hung up the phone and was like, so am I supposed to do anything? Like it, it was a couple of weeks until I would go to my first appointment because they don't, my practice doesn't see anybody until at least eight weeks. So I started calling some of my nurse friends and getting information from them because I feel like my practice just gave me an appointment and that was that. So they had scheduled me for a confirmation appointment on February 4th. So I sat around for almost a month um, not knowing if anything was okay or 
things were progressing the right way, if there was even actually a baby in there. And I scheduled my appointment for the evening so that my husband could be there after work. And I think that that was just because I truly felt apprehensive from the beginning. And I just felt like we weren't going to get good news. And everybody was telling me otherwise. I mean, all my friends who have kids and everything, they're like, you know, you have the symptoms, like, you're probably okay. I I had everything from exhaustion to all day being nauseous and my boobs hurt. And it was just, it was a lot. So we went back to the first appointment and I was convinced that they were going to say something was wrong. But when they brought me back for the ultrasound, we saw a strong heartbeat. We could see the little blob that was our baby. And I was measuring seven weeks, which was off of their dating, but it was completely on track with my dating of ovulation. So I wasn't concerned, but I felt like I could breathe for the first time in a while, which was nice. I started to get more excited because I was like, okay, something actually is in there, you know, and they're telling me that everything looks good. Um, I met with the midwife for this appointment. She was wonderful. She brought us into an exam room after the ultrasound, let us know that baby looked great. But on the ultrasound, they could see a small bleed and that we had a vanishing twin. I swear when the word twin came out of her mouth, I thought my husband was going to fall out of his chair. But she said, oh, this is no big deal. It happens all the time. You know, your body's just absorbing the other baby. And, you know, this is just a normal thing. So me having no experience, I thought nothing of it. She gave us some other information. We got a due date of September 22nd and we started scheduling our next appointments. They scheduled me to come back a week later just because of the measuring being off for their dating, but she said everything looked great. So I got home and of course the first thing I did was Google vanishing twins and that gave me a false sense of relief because everything that I was reading said that statistically you're less likely to miscarry if that happens. So the other baby should be fine. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, great. So we went to the next appointment the next week. Everything was on track. Everything's great. We scheduled our intake appointment where I would be 10 weeks. Um, That's the first time that they were doing any sort of blood work or testing or anything at all. So I was interested about that now knowing what I know that they never did any blood work or they didn't even do like a urine test to confirm my pregnancy before doing anything else which I find strange now but we I ended up getting the flu for the first time ever during that time period between the two appointments so of course I was terrified to go into that 10-week appointment because when I got the flu I had a really high fever for a few days and Google, of course, told me that I could miscarry from that. So again, I was terrified and I just felt very disconnected, but I went in and the first part of the appointment was a consultation. And this is where the second part of my bad taste in my mouth comes from with my practice. The nurse that I met with for my consultation, she went through like all the family history and everything. And she started to talk to me about genetic testing, which from the beginning, I had been very interested in just because I'm so type A that I wanted to know every single thing that was going on. 
but she essentially shamed me into thinking that unless I planned on terminating my pregnancy, if something were to be wrong with the baby, that I shouldn't do it. And that it's not worth it because most insurance companies um, won't cover the cost. And she sent me on my way with the paperwork and the codes and told me to call my insurance, but I wasn't high risk. So everything was probably fine and that I just shouldn't do it. So I went to the rest of the appointment. They did another ultrasound. Baby was moving around like a fish, had a very strong heartbeat. So I felt better again. And I went home and I discussed my options with my husband and we decided to call the insurance and see the insurance had an issue with the codes that they had given me so I called the OB billing department and she let me know the lady in that department that there was a program here in New Jersey and probably in many other places that if you get that testing done and your insurance doesn't cover it you only have to pay $300 through this program but I was supposed to get the NT scan at my next appointment and we probably didn't, she literally verbatim said, we probably didn't need to do it since we didn't plan on finding out the gender. So I thought that it was strange that they kept pushing me away from this testing unless I was using it as a gender reveal, but I didn't think much of it. And I was like, well, you know, maybe they know more than I do. This is my first pregnancy. I don't really know. So if they don't think it's worth it, maybe it's not worth it. So I was scheduled to go to a maternal fetal medicine at 13 weeks for the NT scan and more thorough ultrasound since that's where I would be getting my um, my anatomy scan and when I went there everything everything leading to that point caused me a lot of concern so at 11 weeks I started to spot and we had hosted some friends at our house for dinner and I'd been cooking and cleaning a lot that day. I thought I overexerted myself. I called the OB the next day. I was told not to worry since it was brown and only a small amount um, to let them know if it turned red or I started bleeding through a pad or any of those things. So I went through about a week of this and nothing really changed. But the next weekend I started to see a little more like pinkish red blood when I was getting ready to go out. Um, it was a Sunday, so of course my OB office was closed, but I talked to the OB on call, and I was just very concerned. I said, you know, I don't have a good feeling about this. And she said, if you're that nervous, go to emergency room, or you can wait until tomorrow, and we'll bring you in in the morning and check everything out. And I have a history of very bad anxiety, and there was no way that I was waiting till the next day. So we started that journey of going to a local emergency room, which as I found out later is only a satellite ER. They don't have ultrasound on weekends. So they didn't tell me that until they put me into a bed or I would have left and gone somewhere else immediately. But the doctor came back to consult with me and told me that there was an old machine in the emergency room that she could try to use, but she wasn't sure what she was doing. She gave me an abdominal ultrasound, which wasn't clear, but I could see the baby moving around. And she said to me, I think that's the baby. So I think everything's fine. I thought that my husband was going to lose his mind. And that didn't make me feel any better. So I went to another emergency room. I sat there for a few hours. They did blood work and ultrasound. And 
at this ultrasound, it was like a normal ultrasound room with a tech. So I couldn't see the screen or anything. And she kept making these horrible faces. So I got very concerned. I was in there by myself. And I said, can you just tell me if there's a heartbeat or not? Because your faces are making me freak out. And she must have felt bad because I know that they're not allowed to tell you anything. But she said, there is a heartbeat, but baby's moving around so much that I can't get an accurate measurement. So that made me feel good because to me, I said, okay, well, if the baby's moving around that much, like baby must be fine. Heartbeat's good. Everything's fine. So this was the first time that they also brought up me getting a Rogam shot. My doctor hadn't brought this up before. I'm O negative and I thought that it was pretty standard that they should discuss that with you, but nobody had said anything. So they said, since I had been bleeding for a while, they were going to give me one of those before I left. And I sat there for a while, which was another traumatizing experience because there actually happened to be another family coming in with their baby who had stopped breathing in the room right next to me. And I could just hear the mom wailing and crying. And it was just awful and I'm you know I'm there thinking that something's wrong with my baby and I got some relief that everything was okay and now this mom is losing her baby it was just an all-in-all very traumatizing experience but I left and they wanted to do a follow-up with my doctor that week and at that point I was 12 weeks I went in they just did a quick scan again everything looked good but I was still bleeding a lot and nobody could figure out why. So at 13 weeks, I did that MFM appointment. I was still bleeding more bright red now, and they did a very intense scan transvaginally, which I don't think helped with the bleeding, but I could see everything that they were doing. Baby had a very strong heartbeat, was moving around a lot, and measuring everything looked good I could see her doing the measurements baby was measuring completely at 13 weeks on everything that she was doing but when I met with the doctor right after the scan she terrified me she told me that the baby was measuring small which I didn't understand because that had never been a thing before and I was watching the measure and everything that was coming up on the screen said 13 weeks which is exactly what I was that day but she also told me that my amniotic fluid was low And other than that, she said that the NT scan was perfectly normal. Everything else looked good, but to prepare myself because I could miscarry because of the amniotic fluid. So naturally that freaked me out. Um, I just didn't understand how you could tell somebody something like that and then have no further information for that. So she basically told me that and then sent me on my way. She wanted to do a follow-up, but I just didn't. I didn't like that, but I scheduled it and I was set to go to my regular OB the next week. So I was like, well, I'll just ask them, you know, maybe they'll make me feel better or have more information for me. But I did that and um, we decided at that point to announce our pregnancy on social media because I said, okay, well, I mean, we're after 12 weeks. If anything does happen, it would be nice to have some support from our family and friends and We had waited even to tell our parents until after the first appointment because I had felt so apprehensive about everything. So we had told them at around seven weeks when we did that first appointment and got them these cute little onesies because at that point I felt 
like everything was okay. So I was like, you know what, maybe this girl is wrong and we'll just announce and everybody can be just as excited as, you know, our parents and our close friends and all of that. I didn't want to keep the baby a secret anymore. So we did that. Everything was great. I went to my OB the next week. He was confused. He said, I don't know what the MFM was talking about with growth. Everything was measuring perfect at that point, 14 weeks. And the amniotic fluid was slightly low, but it could correct itself. Like he seemed very unconcerned. So he said, just hydrate it, just hydrate, rest, you know, take it easy. But at that point, I had been going to the doctor from the beginning either every week or every other week. There hadn't been large spans between my appointments, but he said, at this point, I don't think that you need to come in as frequently. Let's push your appointments to four-week intervals. I think that everything's going fine. So I was like, great, this is wonderful. Like, I don't have any reason to be concerned. My OB's not concerned. Let's go. At this point, I started to feel very excited, but I still felt a very big disconnect. And I thought that it was maybe because we didn't know what the gender was. We didn't plan on finding out until birth. So I'm like, you know, maybe because I can't say, oh, baby boy or baby girl, but let's just start planning other things. So we started to look into doing our nursery and taking bump pictures and I bought an at-home Doppler so I could listen to the heartbeat between appointments until I started feeling movement. And I never used it until about 16 weeks. And I couldn't find the heartbeat when I did that. But my girlfriend, who is a labor and delivery nurse, said, you know, maybe that's just because A, you don't know what you're doing. And B, sometimes it's hard to find it, you know, until the baby's a little bit bigger and don't worry about it. So I felt good. On April 21st, I was scheduled for my 18-week appointment. Now at this point, I hadn't been there since 14 weeks. And I started feeling nauseous again, which when I got into my second trimester, some of my symptoms did wane a bit. I mean, my boobs still hurt all the time and I was still kind of tired, but that started to get better. And then the all-day nausea did go away, which was great, but it started to come back again. And that actually made me feel okay too, because I had been told all this time, when your symptoms go away completely, like that's when you should be concerned. But I still had all these symptoms, so I thought nothing of it. I had to go to my appointment alone because at this point we were in the thick of COVID and New Jersey has been very strict with everything. So nobody was allowed in the office. They weren't even doing regular GYN appointments at this point. They were only doing OB appointments and only the person could come in by themselves. So I felt okay with that. I wasn't feeling as nervous with my appointments anymore. I was meeting with the midwife that I had met with at my first appointment. So that made me happy because I did like her better than some of the other doctors that I had seen. And she came in to talk to me. We were just in a regular room. Now I got an ultrasound at just about every appointment, but this one, they, I was actually disappointed because they put me into a room that didn't have an ultrasound in it. It was just a regular exam room. So I was like, oh man, I'm not going to get to see the baby at this one. That sucks, <laughs> you know, whatever. But she looked at my chart and she came in and she said, well, I was just going to use a Doppler to check the heartbeat and all. But 
let me see if the ultrasound room is clear so I can check on your fluid because I see that they made a note last time that you were here. And the tech said, yeah, I have a few minutes. Um, I'm scheduled to do an anatomy scan soon, but hop in. We'll take a look real quick. So I loved this ultrasound room because it had the big screen TV on the wall and you could see everything that the tech was doing. And I really liked that because it made me feel a little more involved and like I could tell what was going on. But when she started my scan, I immediately knew something was wrong. I could see my baby on the screen, but completely curled into a ball and not moving. And she started pushing pretty hard on my stomach and looking around and there was just silence between her and the midwife, which was not typical for my practice or anybody that works there. And she looked at me and very blankly after a minute or two and just said, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. And I felt like in that moment, my heart stopped beating too. And the midwife was sitting just across the room expecting a normal scan too. And she got up, she, I swear she almost jumped out of her seat and grabbed tissues and came over to me. And I just remember looking up at her when she asked me if I was okay. And I said, well, when you come to every appointment expecting something to be wrong, it's not as shocking when something is wrong. And I just wanted to get out of that room as quickly as possible and out of that office. I just wanted to go and the ultrasound tech looked at me and she kind of grabbed my arm and she said, if you don't want to do this, this is fine, but I do need to take some measurements to give to the doctor. You're either going to have to do this now or you're going to have to do it later. And I said, you know, whatever, I'm already here. Just have at it. And she turned off the screen and it was very quiet and she kept apologizing and saying, you know, I'm so sorry that we have to do this. I'm so sorry. And I was like, you know, I, I felt like I was comforting her. I was like, it's not your fault. Like, it's it's really okay. Just do what you have to do. It's fine. And I think they were both looking at me like I was crazy because at that point I had absolutely no reaction. I was just trying to, like, make them feel better. And I sat there and they finished and I got up and I said, okay, like, what do I do next? And she said, the doctors will be in touch with you soon to schedule a DNA. I wasn't given any other options. And she asked if I wanted a minute or if I had any other questions. And I said, I just, I just need to leave. I couldn't believe that it was happening. I felt like I couldn't breathe. And being in that office was just suffocating me. And I needed to tell my husband, my family, my friends, and everybody that my baby wasn't here anymore. My baby had died. And I just felt this immense disappointment. I hated that I was taking this excitement and happiness away from so many people. And I know that none of it was my fault. But at that period of time, I was the person that was housing this little human that was, you know, the first niece or nephew, the first grandchild, our first baby. And I couldn't believe that I was going to have to break so many hearts with this news that at this point only I had. So she went out and basically told the receptionist just to let you go because usually they they get you to schedule your next appointment and whatnot. So they'll like call you out before you can walk out the door. And she went and let them know just to let me leave. And I got out and I had gotten into my car 
and I just started to sob and I had never felt a heartbreak like that I felt like I was gutted and just numb and I I had thought that I knew what heartbreak was and I I didn't until this moment and I called my husband he was at work he didn't answer right away so I called my mom and she answered the phone and I said I lost the baby and she she was like what what are you talking about? What do you mean? And I just started to cry. I said, I can't talk to you right now, but I just needed you to know, please call whoever you need to call. And I, I got to go. And my husband called me back and I told him and he, he was like, are, are you kidding? Like what, uh, what happened? And I said, I don't know. I'm going home. I don't know what happened, but the baby's gone. And I felt like I was responsible for breaking his heart. And he was just in shock. He he basically hung up on me because he was like, I, I'm leaving work. I'm coming home. I'll meet you at home. And just hung up. He didn't know what to do either. So I started driving home. I was about 45 minutes away from home, which just added insult to injury. Because all I wanted to do was get onto my couch and cry. And I had to drive all this way. And I called a couple friends on my way home and everybody was just in so much shock. I mean, they tell you all along that once you hit 12 weeks, you're safe and everything should be okay. So nobody was expecting this news. And I, in every phone call that I delivered the news, it was, I, I was just met with the same reaction over and over again, which I think was just dump, numbing me to the situation. But the doctor also called me on the way home and said, I'll, I can schedule you for your dilation tomorrow afternoon and the procedure for early the next day. And I was like, fine, just whatever gets this done fast enough. I, I want to be done with this. I don't want to think about it anymore. My husband wasn't home yet when I got there and I just sat on the floor with my dog and just cried. He was actually a godsend. My dog, <laughs> we decided to get him and then I found out shortly after the puppies were born that I was pregnant and I looked at my husband and I said I can't do both I can't do a newborn and a puppy how am I how am I going to handle this should we do this I'm not sure and he said you know let's just go look at the puppies and I fell in love with this one we say all the time that he picked me and I knew that we were meant to have him and in this moment I said this was just the universe telling me that I needed him and I needed him for this and he really I mean truly sat by my side through everything and even for a puppy with a lot of energy I mean he just laid there with me for days and just was amazing so I can say like you know thank goodness we went through with getting him because I don't know if I would have made it through without him but I sat there and I sat there with him and I just thought to myself, I, I want to go back in time. I want to just go back a couple hours when everything was fine and we were having a baby and, you know, we were excited. And then my husband got home and he sat down on the floor with me and we just hugged each other and our hearts were just broken. And at this point, the pouring of love and support from our families and friends started. And over the next week or two, we just received flowers and food and cards and gift cards and little gifts and all of these things and it was like everybody that we knew was just wrapping us in this warm blanket of love and 
trying to get us through this horrible dark season of our lives and we are so grateful for that but at times it was a little overwhelming I just really wanted to be alone for a lot of it and they they weren't having it I mean um my stepmom had gone through a later loss as well and she just between her and my dad they just called me and they just cried because they knew what was happening to us in that moment and they knew how we felt and they were broken that we had to be that broken but to add insult to injury we found out that the hospital had just changed their policy that week that nobody was allowed to be with you in the surgical center so my husband could not be with me through any of the procedures he couldn't go into the OB office when I was doing the dilation. He couldn't go um, into the hospital. I had to do everything alone, which was traumatizing and awful. And I wish that they would have thought about these things before they made all of these rules. Um, so I went the next day to the dilation. And I think that going into an OB office when you're going through a miscarriage is also traumatizing they should just have another office where they do all of these things and I was very uncomfortable I went in to meet with the doctor he was not sympathetic he was very clinical and he said oh you're going to experience some mild cramping and discomfort when he placed this seaweed type stuff and it was beyond mild discomfort I mean I'm no stranger to pain I'm covered in tattoos I'm it's really not a problem for me but it was horrible and I just had so many questions that he made me feel like I shouldn't be asking a lot of questions but I still couldn't believe what was going on so I said you know what happened how did this happen why did this happen and he said that they had looked closer at my ultrasound and it appeared that the baby didn't have kidneys which explained the low fluid, but he wasn't sure why and that I could do genetic testing after the procedure and that it could be a genetic condition. So I said, okay, yeah, we want to do that. I want to know everything. I also want to know what the gender is so that we can give the baby a name. And that was a big part of my grieving process is I just needed to know if it was a boy or a girl and I needed to associate a name with my baby and that put put the baby to rest a little in that way. So he said, yeah, it'll tell us the gender. It'll, you know, maybe give us a reason. He said, just, but just prepare yourself. It maybe won't give us a reason. Sometimes these tests come back completely normal and just a freak accident happened and something was just wrong and we don't, we won't ever know what it is. So I said, okay, he gave me a prescription for an antibiotic and um, more pills to insert vaginally before I went to the hospital to help with dilation. And I had to pick up a couple other things from the pharmacy, like pads and whatnot, to prepare myself for after. And that was another traumatizing experience. I had to give them my new prescription card. So I went in instead of my husband going in for me. And they, instead of just the girls that normally check you out back at the pharmacy counter, the pharmacist herself came up and 
looked me directly in the face and with the most judgmental tone said, you do understand that these pills will end your pregnancy, correct? And I was so shocked by how rude she was, but I turned around and actually quickly snapped back. Well, my baby's already dead, so I don't think that's something I'll need to worry about. And she just looked at me and just no sympathy whatsoever, any sort of apology for how she had just treated me. And I was devastated that this woman just tried to judge me or pass her agenda. And it that threw me over the edge into anger. I got back into the truck with my husband and I just lost it. It wasn't fair. We didn't deserve this. And he just held my hand and let me feel all my feelings. And I'm very thankful that he was he was a big part of my support system through this because I just went through a roller coaster at this point. So we went home and um, I had to be at the hospital by 6 a.m. the next day and it was about 45 minutes from our house. So we just took it easy that night. I dealt with the cramping and discomfort and the next day we got to the surgery center. He had to drop me off in the parking lot the center was virtually empty because of the COVID restrictions. And I sat there all alone. Um, and this was the moment that I knew I would just feel empty when I left and my baby would officially be gone. Like up until this point, I knew what was happening, but the baby was still with me. And I knew that once I walked out of those doors again, that was it. And this was done. And I just sat there feeling very numb. And they were, again, not super empathetic. I didn't have a great experience until the surgical nurse came to get me to go to the OR. She was the first truly empathetic human being that I encountered during this experience. And she just grabbed my arm and she said, I'm so sorry that you have to be here with us today. And it was really the first time that somebody had treated me like a grieving human being instead of a name on a chart or a procedure. And that just sent me over the edge. And I just sobbed and sobbed and they put me in the OR and the anesthesiologist just kind of pet my hair until I fell asleep and I could tell that they just felt so sorry for me and it was it was truly like nice that somebody treated me like a person and I woke up and at that point I guess the the surgical nurse that I had been with wasn't there anymore. So I had a new person and she was very nice. And she said, I know you just want to get out of here. Um, I was in a lot of pain. I was bleeding a lot. They made me eat one of these horrible popsicles before I could go. And they called my husband and told him to pull the car around and just wheeled me out into the parking lot. And I just drove home with him in silence and just cried and the next few weeks were pretty much the same um we were just sad a lot and wanted to get back to our normal routine thinking maybe that would help so we both decided to now my procedure was on a Thursday so I said you know let's go back to work on Monday and try to get back into our groove maybe that would help. And we, the next morning, we packed up all the baby stuff in the house, all the little outfits and everything that people had bought us and the baby journals and all of that stuff and put that away. And I said, you know, maybe this will help us 
kind of start to grieve, just kind of shut the door on this. And Monday we woke up and my husband left for work and I started making coffee and cause I was working from home at this point. So started doing, you know, my normal routine and I just kind of stopped and looked up and I sank to my floor in my kitchen and I just, I lost it. I, it just seemed odd that we were going back to our normal routines like nothing ever happened. And then I unpacked all the baby stuff and I, I just cried over all of these things. And I said, how can we just pack her up and act like nothing happened? So we decided on a happy medium of taking out some things. Like I have a, um, a picture frame with the last ultrasound picture that we have on our fireplace and just little pieces of things around. And, that made me feel a little better. Like we weren't forgetting her, but you know, we weren't overwhelmed by the stuff either. So I needed to go back to the doctor for my follow-up. And about a week and a half later, before I was scheduled for that appointment, I woke up in a lot of pain and needed to push up my appointment, which ended up being a, a wonderful thing because I met with the doctor that I wasn't supposed to meet with and I hadn't seen him before and he was incredible he was incredibly empathetic he validated my feelings he offered me medication to get over depression he encouraged me to seek therapy he told me that people can go through postpartum depression after miscarriage it was nice to feel like I was finally being heard and at the same time, I found out that I had a uterine infection from the surgery, which it was just another thing. It was like we were we were wanting to put everything behind us, and it was just one more thing popping up after another. This was like the icing on the cake. But he treated me with some antibiotics, and eventually I got over that, and we started to go on with life. And a couple weeks later... I got a phone call from the doctor that we had gotten our genetic testing back and they found out that the baby was a girl. We named her Camilla Grace and that she had triploidy. So this was nothing that I had ever heard of. Um, my doctor actually even told me that he had only seen it a few times in his career, which isn't crazy because he's he is younger, but he said, you know, if I see this maybe once or twice a year, that's a lot. It's very rare it means that the baby received an extra set of chromosomes from fertilization. So she would have had 69 chromosomes instead of the normal 46. So that happens in one to 3% of pregnancies. My doctor told me it was unlikely to happen to us again, which I hope is the case. Uh, I'm wondering now if maybe my disconnection and apprehension throughout my pregnancy that it was ever going to end well was because my body just kind of knew from conception that there was an issue. I would have found this out during the genetic testing that I had opted out of, but now I'm thinking that that might have ended up being another thing that was just kind of meant to be because if we would have found out about this at 10 weeks or 11 weeks, whenever we did the testing, we would have had to make a decision of how we were going to move forward with the pregnancy. And babies with this condition can go full term 
they won't live long after birth if they do, or they will be stillborn, but they can go full term. So I would have had to carry that knowledge and decide if I was going to terminate or if I was going to carry until the baby passed on their own or a full term or and I think that that would have been a really difficult decision for us to make so I'm happy that I didn't have to make it and that it just took its own course but that it was nice to get an answer I know a lot of people don't get answers and that breaks my heart that we all can't know what happens to our babies and I hope that they get better testing in the future and have a better idea of how to prevent things like this or how to give people better information. But I guess in 2020, we're just not there yet. But since our loss, I've come to terms with a lot of things. So I think my baby did serve a great purpose in my life. As I've come to find out in therapy, um, I did learn how to let go of a lot of control in this situation, which I think will help me in the future of parenting. And it's brought my husband and I a lot closer, showed us that we were capable of getting through anything together. It made me decide that I wanted to be an advocate for other moms and parents who go through loss because I don't think that it's talked about nearly enough. People still treat it like it's taboo. It's affected a lot of my relationships with family and friends, people mainly that don't understand. I actually don't talk my mom's entire side of the family at this point over my loss um, they were just very cruel to me about it and I think that it's because they come from a generation who is just very unaccepting of people exhibiting feelings and you know think that this is something that you're not supposed to talk about and I'd like to change that cycle so I'm you know facilitating relationships with people who believe in changing that cycle as well and it's been nice because the reason that I actually found out about this podcast was through a girl that I don't know very well I did go to school with her but she's good friends with a mutual friend of mine and she went through a loss about two months after mine at 17 weeks and my friend reached out to me and said would you mind talking to her because we don't know too many people who have gone through a second trimester loss and you know she needs some help so it was nice knowing that me being open about my situation led other people to understand that it does help to talk about it and that I could potentially help somebody get through their situation that made me feel really good and it just it feels nice to know that my story could help somebody get through their dark times because that to me means that something came out of this for somebody else and for me. And there's a quote that I love and I, you know, have printed it out and it's kind of what I live by now. And it says, one day you will tell your story of how you overcame what you went through and it will be someone else's survival guide. And that's, just really how much I love knowing that my daughter means something not only to me and to my family, but she can mean somebody something to somebody else in a way that it helps them survive their situation. And I know, Shelly, you always ask for 
advice and I think that my advice to anybody going through any but anything is don't let somebody else invalidate your feelings I went through a lot of this with a lot of friends and family members of basically telling me that I wasn't grieving correctly or that I didn't have a right to grieve and you know this happens to people all the time so it's really no big deal and I don't care if you had a chemical pregnancy. I don't care if you had a six-week loss, an 18-week loss, a 36-week loss. All of those babies are babies. They're your baby, and they mean something to you. And they should mean something to everybody. That's a life. And you have every right to feel your feelings and to grieve those feelings and to honor your baby in any way that makes you comfortable. And that's just really, people have a tendency to make you feel bad about their discomfort. And I think that grief makes people feel very uncomfortable a lot of the time. And nobody should make you feel bad over being uncomfortable about your situation because there's nothing more uncomfortable than having to grieve your child. So just do whatever makes you feel better and whatever makes you happy. And that's my advice. <laughs> yes, that was so good. Oh, goodness. Okay. Now, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? So I am on Instagram. Um, my handle is A-U-E-R-K-9-1. I am private, so you would have to request me, but I also am starting a blog to just kind of channel my feelings and thoughts on miscarriage and helping, you know, whoever needs to talk, because I know that that does help me a lot. So if there's anybody who just wants to chat and doesn't really feel comfortable reaching out to me personally, my Instagram for that is called Through the Woods to the Rainbow. And that is just an open, you don't have to request me, you can just message me. So that might be easier for some people, but whatever works. If you want to reach out, feel free. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this and actually redoing this. I so, <laughs> so, so appreciate it. And um, you'll have to keep us all posted moving forward. Thank you. Yeah, we'll chat soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Take myself, take my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. Just leave.